Hey guys, I'm standing on Mount Arbel, but this time we're on the side of the mountain. And this is, this is the location with that huge countryside that a lot of people believe was where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. And I believe it makes logical sense because Jesus could have used the lake that's down here. And it's, it's crazy how much you can hear up here. I mean, you can hear everything. Birds are a long way away on that hill behind me and we can hear them like they're right here beside us. And so Jesus, if there was 10, 15,000 people on this countryside, they could have heard them all. Can you imagine this kind of being halfway up a mountain? And there's villages around, but they're a good walk. And it's getting toward the end of the day and no one has anything to eat. Can you imagine what it was like to be the disciples? Hey, hey Jesus, uh, we need to get these cats something to eat because they don't have anything to eat. And imagine what it was like to look around and think there is no fruit. There's no anything that we can do. And then imagine this. Imagine being the disciples because this is the part I want you to get. And you see the 5,000 get fed and you see the miracle. And you know that the miracle depended on you and that, that it didn't really change over until you gave it away. And then you go out to, to see like we talked about. And he, and he comes to you and he walks to you and then he calms the storm. And then the next day he takes you to Capernaum and he says, I'm the bread of life. If anyone eats of me, they will have life. What does that look like? And what does that mean? What does it mean that I can, a man can't live off bread alone, but off his word? What does that mean? What does it mean and why would Jesus do this? Because he was the most strategic man ever to live and, and he brought them here to feed them bread and fish. Not to teach them every word he taught, but to simply lay foundation for his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To establish his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail like we talked about earlier in the journey. All of these things were taking place so that his kingdom could be established, but it could happen through you. So this is my question today. What do you live off of? Do you live off of his bread alone or do you live off of everything else in the whole world to feed you and move you? Because that's what will decide where you are. Who you say Jesus is will decide who you are. It's not enough to see a magic trick and a miracle. It's not enough to be in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Jesus is all that's enough. So here's what we wanna know for you guys today is, is what did you come expecting? What did you come looking for today? Because as we looked at on Mount Arbel, the exact location that Jesus fed the 5,000, did you come as one of the crowd hoping that you could get fed some bread or see a miracle happen today? And is that the only thing you came for? Or, or do you want the actual bread of life to come in your life and change your life. And see, this is what I believe the picture of the church is and the problem. I believe that many of us, as Jesus said, when he was speaking to the crowd and when he spoke in Capernaum the next day, I think we look and say, man, I would love to have Jesus talk to me and be a part of my life and do these things and see all the miracles that he does. I, I want a miracle in my life, but then when it comes down to it, what, what we call the nitty gritty, I don't know if that's really what we want. I don't know if Jesus is really who we want. I think the things with Jesus is what we want. And as we talked about last week, 
We want a blessing. We want the bread. We want what the Old Testament called the manna or the 20,000 on the side of the mountain saw the fish and the bread. We want the gifts and we want the blessing. But we don't want to be the blessing. And that's what God has called us to be in the church. And so now we're going to transition. We're going to look at what would it have been like to be one of the people on the side of the mountain? And that's what I want you to consider today is that's who you are. That's where we are in our lives. What would that have looked like to go and see Jesus do this and then maybe go back to your home and sit around with your family and talk that night and say, we're going to go back to our bell. But when you got back and you saw and you know that a storm came through, you had to leave. And so Right now, we're gonna transition to the Sea of Galilee, and I want you to watch this. Up here is Mount Arbel, and so over to the side of Mount Arbel, and kind of in that location, and so you can kind of get a, a, an understanding. That over there is where they believe Jesus fed the 5,000. So if you can take this in context, if Jesus fed the 5,000 here, when Jesus said, go to the other side, the other side was Capernaum, which is right in here. And so he wasn't talking about going directly across the lake. And in fact, the interesting thing, and from this landscape, you can kind of understand, he was actually just talking about kind of a semicircle or kind of cutting off halfway. And in Bible times, especially in Jesus' time, the boats weren't real big. And so they would stay about 50 feet off of the water, nowhere near this far out. And so if they were this far out, this was the middle of the lake. It was considered middle of the lake this far out. And when the storms would roll through right here, on the side of our bell, when the storms would roll through, at nighttime, no one wanted to be there because literally there wasn't a search and rescue mission that could happen. There was no lights, there was no search and rescue boats. And so they would just be, they would have been considered dead, period, nothing else. And so the most miraculous thing about that is when we hear Jesus came out to, to see them, when he walked on water, they thought he was a ghost. And we hear all that, we're like, why did they think it was a ghost? Because no one would have been out here. Like no one came out here at nighttime, especially when there was a storm. And so that was the most amazing thing is, the middle of this lake, and it goes almost 13 miles this way from Capernaum right here, it, it, it was a no-no, you didn't do it. And so these were the waters that Peter and James and John spent all their lives fishing in. And when Jesus said, go to the other side, and they could kind of feel like off of our bell in this valley right here where the storms always roll through. When he said, go to the other side at night, and Jesus went up to pray, it would have scared them to death. It was terrible. And so there's no way they would have wanted to do it. So now just imagine what it was like knowing that a storm came through, knowing that you had to go to what the Bible calls the other side, but it was actually, you know, just cutting off the corner like you just saw on the Sea of Galilee. And you're heading toward Capernaum. And I wonder what's going through your mind this day. How's he going to feed the 5,000 men plus the women and children today? And how's he going to get all these people in a confined area? And how's he going to do? And how's he going to do? And how's he going to do? And then Jesus rocks the boat, so to speak, with what he says in John chapter six. And it's, it's just fascinating that one day we can experience life change and see all that God has done, maybe in this place, maybe at your home, maybe through a message, maybe through worship, but you've experienced this, this Jesus and, and, and you want to know more, but then he calls you out and he says, now hang on a second, you gotta want all of me. You can't want all of my fun. And he pushes the envelope a little bit and he did it John chapter 6, verse 59 says, all of these things happen in the synagogue in Capernaum. And that's where we're going to come to now. So watch this.
I'm standing in the synagogue at Capernaum. And here's what's crazy about this place is uh, Jesus did a lot of his teachings and a lot of his earthly ministry here in Capernaum. As a matter of fact, from 30 to 33, we believe that he spent the majority of the time here. And so the people living here would have seen him do all kinds of miracles. Now, in John chapter 6, there was a, a, a 24 to 48 hour period that was crazy. Uh, you've seen our story of what happened on Mount Arbel and the walking on the water and the miracle that took place and how Jesus came out to them in the storm. Now here's what happened. On the side of Mount Arbel, he had fed the 5,000 people. So all these people, thousands of people had seen it. And many of them came over here. And this synagogue was two stories. It was massive and people could have sat around it and sat on the floor and at the front, Jesus could have stood. And if you lined this place up two stories high all the way up there to the top, it would have been a crazy amount of people in this room. And the next day, after they saw Jesus feed all of them with bread, then they fought against him. And here's what the Bible says. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, here in Capernaum, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and the fish and you had your fill. And, and he says, food spoils. You're looking for food that spoils, which the Son of Man gave you. On him, God the Father has sent in place, has, excuse me, has placed his seal of approval. And, and here's the truth. I wonder how often we're looking for a magic show or the next big thing or God, will you bless me? God, will you bless me? God, will you bless me? And not God. That's, I, 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 wait, I, I want God. So, so the difference is you had a, a, a huge group of people who got the magic trick, who got the 5,000 fed, and they wanted more of that. They wanted more of, of the food, the fun. And then you had that group of 12 that Jesus said, I want you to go to the other side. And God sent them through the storm. And I bet when they were sitting in this room and the rest of them were pushing back, I bet those disciples weren't pushing back because they had seen Jesus in all his glory. They hadn't seen the magic maker. They had seen the king. And at the end of John 6, it's one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. John 6, verse 66 says, From that time many of the followers, many of his disciples, not the twelve, but many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. See, they were looking for manna, and they said, listen, this is just manna from heaven. This is no different, and, and you have to keep giving us this. But in verse 35 of chapter 6, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow, go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But many of them didn't want Jesus to be their satisfaction and Jesus to be their life. They wanted a magic trick anytime they wanted it and anytime they needed it. And I just wonder, is that the way that we are in the journey as we walk this journey? Who is Jesus to you? Do we want him to be our magic trick or want him to pray blessings over our lives or get something from him or, or maybe he's a little more? Or is he truly the bread of life, your satisfaction, the one that fills you and the one that completes you in your life? Because you're either one of the many in the crowd or one of the true that one of the few that truly follow him. And I just wonder which one are you? Because the proof is in the pudding and the proof will eventually show up. John 6, 6. 
many of the people that followed him turned and walked away and said, ah, this is too hard. So guys, I hope you've enjoyed those three different locations that we were able to take you from the actual place, the side of the mountain where Jesus in Matthew 14 went up to pray because John the Baptist had been beheaded even though he still fed the 5,000 that day and he sent his disciples across. And then they all went to Capernaum. They went into that synagogue that you just saw. And let me just read to you what Jesus said in John chapter six. In verse, 20 said, in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must, me, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. I, I just wonder, is that who we are? Is, 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 is that what we want? Do you believe in him who God sent? Or do you believe in the stuff and hope that you can get blessed? Because seriously, that's, that's what it feels like that the world has become. And then Jesus says a few verses later, I am that bread. He literally said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You guys are wanting all these things in your life and I am that thing. And, and, and honest to goodness, this is what we had this conversation just two weeks ago when we saw God do great things. And this is what I said in that message. And this is what I'm repeating today because it's more applicable. If you could choose between stuff and getting a nice building or for your home, getting a new car or getting the next thing, or you could choose the spirit of God inside of you, which one would you choose? Because we would say, oh, pastor, I would choose the spirit. I would choose the spirit. I would choose God every time. But when it came down to it, where's my manna? Where's my bread? Where's my stuff? Where's my next thing? And that's because we think God is in this for us. And we don't understand that God is in this for his glory and he loves us, but it's for him. And we miss the whole point because we make everything about us and selfishness, which is the root of all different kinds of sins and pride creeping up and the battle of the spirit that, it, that starts in the mind and Satan attacks us constantly. It is overwhelming and frustrating. And I put myself in that synagogue as one of the crowd, as one of the people sitting around going, who's this cat think he is, man? Just feed us more bread. And then this is what they said. In John chapter six, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this, the, this, this ordinary cat that just is just doing his thing? And isn't, isn't this just Jesus? And honest to goodness, this is, this is just the truth. I really believe that one of my biggest problems in life over the years is putting Jesus in a compartment or compartmentalizing him rather than understanding that this is what he desires for you. That you could be living out your fullest life and understanding that everything, your job, your fun, everything that you do is to know him more and to make much of him in what you do. But if you're looking for a blessing and you're not worshiping the blesser, 
and you're not giving all you can and serving all you can, not so you gain his favor, but because you have his love for you, then you miss it. And then the end of John chapter six, it actually says in my Bible, in the English Standard Version, the truth of salvation or what it takes to be saved. And it's fascinating. He says, unless you eat my flesh, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, but he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they heard this and they were like, this dude's lost his mind. He wants us to literally drink his blood. No, he's saying, listen, this is, this is bread that you're looking for that perishes, it goes away. But I'm not. He calls himself the living water in John chapter four and John chapter seven. And he's the bread of life in John chapter six. And, and he's saying, listen, if you'll just receive me, I will give you hope and I will give you life. And this is the other thing that he does. Ezekiel says that he takes my heart of stone. And in all those areas that you're struggling, and I believe some of you, you'll get this word today and it's directly for you. And those areas that you have so much bitterness and you can't forgive and you can't let things go and you can't believe the best about yourself and you can't love yourself. And here's the dilemma with that. If you can't love yourself and he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you can't love yourself because of all the things you believe about yourself. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. You're putting off what's in you and you're putting out what Hebrew says is a well of bitterness that becomes poison to the world. And the reason for that is because you want his daily bread, but not, but not the true bread of life to come inside of you and change. And he says, listen, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then this verse, I believe, is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. It's John 6, verse 66. And it says that many of his disciples, now listen to what this means. Many of his disciples turned and walked away. They turned and stopped following Jesus. And disciple means one who follows. And so, so the 20,000, I'm not sure if the Bible is calling all of them, the 5,000 men plus women and children, that the day before, imagine this, the day before, if you had nothing to eat and you saw Jesus feed 5,000 people, wouldn't you look at him and say, oh my goodness. And we say all the time, if I could have just seen Jesus, if I could just see him in flesh, and these people saw him feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and the next day they walked away. And Jesus looked at them in the next verse and says, what about you guys? What about you 12? Are you going to walk away too? And they said, where else would we go? And until that's your answer, John 6, 67, where else will we go, Jesus? You're everything to us. Then I believe that he's not everything to you. See, here's the tension. We want the tricks. We want the one trick pony. We want all the things that Jesus can have. But in this part of the journey, In Capernaum, in the synagogue, as you sit and you find yourself there, you will not find yourself in the fullest life possible. You will not find yourself with doors open. You will find yourself bitter and frustrated and miserable and wishing you could have more and looking at other people's lives and you say, man, that person seems like they're living their fullest life and they're going through all kinds of hills. How can they be full? It is not me. It's the spirit of God in me. And he's waiting for you. He believes in you. He loves you enough. Listen, God loves you enough to send Jesus to die for you. But it's not just to miss hell 
and gain heaven. It's to bring heaven to earth now through you. And you can't bring heaven to earth if you're just waiting on a magic show and thinking that God wants to do tricks through you so people can know you. God wants people to know you so they can know him. It's all about his glory. It's all about his honor. It's all about his fame. And it all happens through you. And if the world that you live in doesn't revolve around, through, and in Jesus Christ, and his spirit, listen, the spirit of Jesus was left for you. He says, it's better if I go and it's better if I leave my Holy Spirit for you. Six, seven, eight chapters later, he says it in chapter 14 and chapter 15, chapter 16. He talks about leaving in John. But most of us wish we were on the side of the mountain so we could see the tricks. Not hearing the message in the synagogue that you have to receive him, the bread of life. So I wonder in your journey, right where you sit right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the one that maybe can find you the, the gifts and the fun? Because he is a miracle worker. And he does reside in every one of you that call yourself followers of Jesus. But I believe this is the number one issue in the church today and why we find ourselves in the greatest mission field in all the world. And that's the local church. Because if the church ever truly eats his bread and drinks his blood, we cannot stay the same because Jesus put one amazing thing behind and that's himself, the spirit of Jesus. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit inside of me and the spirit inside of any of you who didn't walk away. And I've got buddies that I grew up with and it breaks my heart to see them and they're wild today and they're far from God. And there was a time that they experienced an emotional fun time with Jesus. But that emotional high is not bad. Emotion is great, but that's not what saves you. What saves you is reality. What saves you is depth. What saves you is an understanding and a knowledge meeting my spirit and saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You are all I need. If that means I end up homeless, and not knowing the next turn, you're enough. If that means I end up in a huge, awesome house with nice cars, you're enough. That is not what defines me. My success is not what defines me. Nothing else is what defines me. You are my bread. You are my portion. You're all I need. And that's how you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and no other way. So, John chapter six, verse 60. My Bible literally says the words of eternal life. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is hard, saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? He's, of course, talking about heaven. It is the spirit who gives life. Now, listen to this. Don't miss this. It's the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. And see, see, here's what they were wanting. They were wanting the flesh and what the flesh offers and that next bread and that next trick. And he says, listen, the spirit is what gives life. Every battle that you have is a spirit battle, not a flesh battle. And we've put all our eggs in that basket and it's not working. And he says, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And I believe that's where some of you find yourself today. 
maybe you came in here and you were like, this is my last straw. This is my last ditch effort. I, I don't know what else to do. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day for some of you to come back to God because it is not, it is not magic. It is not emotion. Sometimes it's great emotion. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes we absolutely love what God does when he stirs. But I find the most intimate times are the times I don't feel like it. And I praise through and I pray through and God gives me a word and God gives me hope. In the middle of my misery, God gives me a message and helps me through. And it's not a message for you. It's a message for my spirit because that is the battle. The battle is Satan is attacking constantly through his demons all in your mind and he's trying to trick you and take you out and say, listen, that bread's not good enough today. You're right, that bread spoils because it's just tricks, it's just fun. And God does those things sometimes, but that's not enough. You have to receive the spirit of Jesus who wants to rescue you and take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh and make you new. Every morning his mercies are new, but we don't receive them because they're not the fun and the joy and the excitement that everybody wants to have in this room when people are raising their hands and shouting, hallelujah, that's amazing. That's not what it's always like sometimes. People pass away. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes it's hard, but he still wants to bring heaven to earth through you. And his spirit is in you. And it is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11. And he's waiting on you. And so today you have to answer this question. Am I one of those disciples? Am I one of the masses? Am I one of the 20,000? Am I one of the reasons that people look at Christianity today and say, I don't want any part of that? Or am I one of the few that is the movement of God, that is this group that is gonna, God is going to raise up and is currently raising up and has already started ahead and is blazing the trail for us. I'm going to be one of his that changed the world because that is totally up to you. But if you need to feel good every day, then your love relationship with Jesus, which is what he's desiring, that's what this was about. That's everything he was talking about and continues today to want for you. And if, if my relationship with Leah is solely based on, I feel like it, <laughs> we're in trouble. But I know this, it's in the intimate moments where we're just talking through, where we're just spending time, where we're talking about things, even when we don't feel like it, that our love grows closer. And my time with Leah can't just be, hey, fix the kids, fix the food, fix the car, fix the... If that's all that our relationship is, then that's what maybe some of your relationships with Jesus look like. Then all we want is the bread, but we don't want the cup and the relationship and what his blood actually did shed for us. He wants to give you that hope in that future. And it's up to you today. And as Pastor Jordan comes up, some of you let today be the day of salvation in your life. And you answer the question, who is Jesus really to you? Is he that, is he that trickster? Is he that magician? Or is he Jesus? Is he the savior? of your life forever.